All right, I'm, I'm going to ask a straw poll question here. How many of you want to receive God's blessing? Okay. All right, how many of you are asleep? <laughs> I just want to make sure. We, we all want to receive God's blessing. Most people would certainly want to receive God's blessing. Um, th- that, that seems to be like a pretty obvious thing. And some people, people have different ways of trying to go about doing that. Some people think that you receive God's blessings by a positive sort of thing. I call it, and, and I don't mean any derision on this in particular, but I call it the K-Love effect. Because if you listen to a Christian radio station like a K-Love or Way FM or uh, Down in Mobile's Power 88 or, you know, whoever it is, you'll hear them talk about how they're positive, how they're encouraging, how they're upbeat and uplifting. And you never hear a Christian station that, that talks about deriding you and putting you down and making you see the error of your ways. You know, that's, this, that's not going to fly on Christian radio. It's this idea that if you're thinking in positive sort of ways, and if you're, if you've got your mind on good things, then everything's gonna go better, and, and you're gonna see the blessings of God better. And there's sometimes where that is a good thing. There's sometimes when you need to be encouraged. You need to be built up. You need to be shown that, that, that God really does love you. The problem is that it goes a little too far, especially in Western Christianity. You've seen the mega church with the pastor that's the got the shiny teeth and the shiny hair and the shiny suits and all they talk about is good. And they'll pack out large, large uh, congregations Sunday after Sunday. Some are in stadiums. They're so big. And yet, there's no blood. There's no Christ. There's no... There's no sin, there's no death or hell, there's no awareness of the truth of the gospel that we desperately need a Savior and that Christ has paid the price for our sin. And, and, and so we can't get caught up too much in the positive and miss the whole fact that we are sinners. But at the same time, some people kind of go to the opposite direction. And man, it's got to be hard. If you're going to receive God's blessing, then you have to stick to the letter of it. I mean, you've got to do everything exactly the right way or else if you do anything wrong, you're going to be out of God's will. I have a friend named Shannon. Shannon grew up as a, uh, a man, but he grew up um, as a boy going to different churches. And one of the churches he said he went to, it was like every time he walked in, it was shame on this person, shame on that person, shame on the other person. That's all that church was. And I, I got to be honest with you, that's too oftentimes how it is. You might as well call it the checklist Baptist church. Where if you don't check off all the checklists, then you're not honoring God. Now surely, we can do better than that. Unfortunately, that's too often how it is. And by the way, the problem with that isn't just that, that, that living holy isn't a good thing. That's a very good thing. But we get picky about what we're holy about. That's why you have churches today that will not condone an abortion, but will sit aside while a pastor is molesting children. The same church, you get both. And that's wrong. 
The fact of the matter is that we can get so picky about what we identify as the right way to live that we miss the sins that run rampant in our lives. And we can't do that. We cannot do that and receive God's blessing. So how do you receive the blessings of God? If it's not the positive pie in the sky, everything is okay, and it's not the checklist of this is, this is what you have to do and do this and do this and don't do that 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 don't do that and don't do that and don't do that and don't do that. Do you see how much many more don'ts there are? Because that's how it often happens. If it's not that way, then how do we receive the blessings of God? Paul's talking to a church that is in danger of just that side of do's and don'ts, of checklist, of fulfilling a law and making the law the main point. And he tells them how to avoid the trap and receive the blessings. We find that in Galatians chapter 3. Stand with me as we read God's Word. Galatians chapter 3. We will read the first nine verses this morning. Galatians 3, verses 1 through 9. This is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him is righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Pray with me. Father God, I pray that we would avoid the traps not just to, to be blessed, not just to have good things happen to us. But God, that we would experience the true blessing. The blessing that isn't the stuff we have. The blessing that isn't the people we know. The blessing that isn't the good things that happen to us. The promotions or, or the nice things. The things that we like. But they will experience the blessing of knowing you of loving you, of serving you. Because, Lord, you are the blessing. We ask you to bless us. Bless us with your presence. Bless us with your spirit. Illuminating your word to us this morning. Bless us with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a seat. So we have a church that is embroiled in a struggle over the identity of the gospel. We've been talking about Paul's, uh, we've been walking through this book, talking about the things that Paul is saying. And he starts with 
setting up his authority as an apostle, his authoritative position of apostleship, an apostleship that's not of man, that's not from men, that's not because of the people around him, it's not because the elders in a particular church approved him and made him that. It's an apostleship that comes from God, directly from him. It's not an apostleship that's been bestowed on him because he's done certain things. It's an apostleship because God separated him. God called him out. God made him who he was. And as an apostle, he has an authority. But that authority doesn't just come from who he is. It comes from who God has called him to be. And even more than that, It's an authority that comes from the message that he preaches. And that's the second thing we started to look at. We started to look at the authoritative proclamation of Paul, the gospel, how the gospel is by faith and not by works. And now he's going to drive the point home with an authoritative proof. The next two chapters, uh, chapters 3 and 4 in Galatians, he's walking through a proof of why the gospel is enough. Why we don't need to go back to law when we've been liberated by Christ. At the end of the book, he'll talk more about what it looks like to live in the nature of Christ, to live in in faith and not by works. But for right now, he's setting out to prove his point that it's all in the gospel, that the gospel is enough and nothing else is necessary. And he starts with a... How do I say this nicely? A direct sort of address. Now, if you know someone, (laughs) you can talk to them this way. But if you don't know someone very well, you probably don't need to talk this way. Look in verse 1. Oh, foolish Galatians! You (laughs) You don't say that to people unless you really know them and really love them. You see, nature, uh, our nature is to want to avoid conflict sometimes, isn't it? We want to avoid the conflict. We want to say, oh, well, you know, we want to try to put it nice and gentle and easy. If you take a business communication class, they'll teach you when you write a rejection letter. You don't reject them in the first sentence. You reject them in the middle paragraph, middle sentence of the whole letter. You want to give them a cushion all the way around. You want to make it nice. Thank you for your interest in whatever it might happen to be. We appreciate you contacting us. For years, our company has strived. Yeah, you know. You know, if in the first sentence, if the first word isn't congratulations, it's bad news. (laughs) Now, if, if it's unsolicited email and it says something like, at now early on, then you know, okay, this is junk. I don't need this. But if you're going to put bad news in there, you got to cushion the blow. Right? That's the way we think. Because we don't want to be too harsh. Paul says, forget that. (laughs) You dummies. (laughs) You foolish people. What are you doing? The nature of the error is so grievous that he has to be direct. He can't beat around the bush. He can't just say, say, oh, bless your heart. I don't know that the Greeks had a bless your heart. <laughs> but he doesn't do that. He gets straight to the point. You're acting like dummies. Why? 
Continue in verse 1. Who has bewitched you? He starts these series of rhetorical questions. Now, if you want to teach someone something, we think that teaching is you get up and you tell them, right? You go into a classroom today. Teachers teach by telling you. They tell you what you need to know, and then they help you practice it, right? They give you practice problems if it's math or if it's English. You, you, you start to work on different sentences or, or things. Uh, you, you do it, right? You start by seeing it done, and then you do it with some help, and then there's homework, and you do it on your own. And hopefully you get it, and if you don't get it, they help you some more, and we kind of get you along that way. That's not the way that especially Jewish practice was. And Paul, you have to remember, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul, Paul grew up as a Pharisee. I mean... Uh, he was, as an adult, a Pharisee, very zealous for his faith. And so he would have done the way that the rabbis did. And the way the rabbis teach is completely different from how we teach. The rabbis don't just tell you the answers. They give you questions. And they make you come to the answers. And so that's exactly what Paul does with the Galatians. He starts asking them questions. The first question, who has bewitched you? The, the, the phrase is literally, who has deceived you? with your permission. It's not just who has tricked you against your will. It's, it's that they have allowed themselves to be tricked. And we do that often. We hear someone saying something good, positive, and we say, oh, that sounds great. That sounds wonderful. Live, laugh, love, right? It's those things that, oh, they sound so good and so we're willing to accept them and not really put them to the test. I saw one thing in Walmart one time that had a verse on it. And I said, that's not what that verse says. I didn't even know the verse by heart, but I said, that, something's wrong with this. I looked up the verse on my phone, completely different. Had nothing to do with what that verse said. I was like, but yet people will believe it. Maybe that's why it was on clearance aisle and not sold. <laughs> Hopefully some other people recognize that that just wasn't any good. But the fact is, we'll take anything that sounds good. Sometimes we'll allow the things that we want to be true to be true no matter how not true they are. I'm just going to say one word to prove this. I'll prove my point with one word. Politics. I rest my case. If you hate a particular person, or their views. It doesn't matter what the truth is. You find whatever truth fits your narrative. And that works both ways. We say that that works one way sometimes because it's always those people that are the bad people, the people that aren't like us. But the fact is, we do it. All of us do. We take the things that we want to be true. We allow ourselves to be deceived. And the fact is, Paul's standing there saying, who has bewitched you? Who's tricking you with your permission? How often do we allow ourselves to be tricked just because we want to believe? You see, one of the problems of legalism, and this, this is part of the trap of legalism, really, and that's your first blank, by the way, the trap of legalism. One of the problems with the with legalism and with the trap of legalism is that it provides a righteousness that's based on your works. And we want that. We want to be able to earn it, to do it, to hold our heads up high with pride and say, I did it, right? 
My, my three-year-old daughter gets mad at me when I buckle her up because she wants to do it. Now, can she do it? Sometimes. Sometimes she has trouble, needs help. But she gets mad if she thinks I'm doing it. She does. We want to do it ourselves. We want to be able to hold our heads up. That's why, that's why older men, like after they retire, um, become one of two things. They either become an enthusiast about something, some kind of hobby, some kind of job, something, or they get really annoying. And, and sometimes they do both. I, I wasn't going to say your name, Malcolm, but... The, my uncle um, started having some health problems, except for the health problems. He is, whenever he can, he is that enthusiast type. He's a woodworker. He built a toddler bed that has lasted through all four of my children without breaking. Now that's something. I'm going to tell you, that is something. He shore that thing up. <laughs> but we got to have something to do, don't we, men? we got to have something to feel like we've made it, we've done it. Women are the same way. You gotta have something that you can hold your head up high and say, I did that. I was involved in that. And it may be different things. That's okay. That's all right. But the fact is, we all want to be able to do it ourselves. We don't want to have to depend. You ever heard of the Declaration of Dependence? No. This country was founded wanting to do it ourselves. We wanted our own representation. We wanted to do things our way. It's so easy for us. It's so easy for us to do that. And legalism allows us to be deceived by, by giving us a righteousness that's based on our works and not based on anything else. It's what we do. Paul has to remind them. He says, look, look, continue to look in verse 1. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. The, the, the idea here is not just that you've seen Jesus, but you've seen Jesus crucified. Why? For your sins. Look back in chapter 2. Verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. What he's saying is that when Christ died on the cross and carried our sin, that became the work that would earn the salvation for us. And we too often want to do it ourselves. We want to take the mantle on ourselves. We want to say we are the ones who are earning our salvation. We are the ones who are doing it. We are the ones who are providing for our righteousness with God. And the fact is we can't do that. Legalism also denies the efficacy of the crucifixion of Christ, turning obedience into a series of deeds instead of a way of living he asked another question. Are you, verse 2, are you so foolish? He says, he says, 
Did you receive? I'm sorry. Um, did you receive? Yeah, verse 3 is, are you so foolish? Go back to verse 2, though. I'm sorry. That's my fault. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So let me ask you this. How do you receive the Spirit? You received the Spirit. You know you received the Spirit, right? Right? Everybody knows that? Okay, how do you receive it? Was it from what you did? Was it from faith? I like the fact that he puts hearing with faith. It's the hearing of faith. It's where you hear, and that hearing produces faith. Because faith isn't even something that we do. It's something that's given to us, and all we do is, is enact it. We carry it out. But it doesn't even come from us. It's not even like we can walk along one day and stumble over something. Oh, look, I found some faith. Here's some faith. You go out, you find rocks. Right? James has a rock and his he's convinced it's worth a hundred dollars. It's not worth a hundred dollars, buddy. I hate to tell you that. But he he found a rock on the ground, right? We don't find faith that way. We don't just find it on the ground. We don't just, just find it somewhere. We don't stumble upon it. We don't go to the store and buy it. You're not going to go to Walmart and see a shelf full of faith. You can see a shelf full of all kinds of stuff, but not faith. Because faith is something that is given to us. Faith is something that comes from God. For it is by grace we've been saved through faith that is not of ourselves. It's not talking about the salvation. It's talking about the faith that's not of ourselves. It's not even of us. It's not something we muster. It's not something we do. It's not something we manufacture. It's something that is given to us, and we have to act on it. And so did you receive the Spirit by your works? Or by a faith that's given to you? Did you know the hearer has nothing to do with the message proclaimed until he hears it? If you look at a model of communication, you'll see there's, there's, there's multiple lines of communication going on. There's, there's a speaker that gives a message to a receiver, and that receiver then deals with the message. The receiver doesn't deal with the message until after it's spoken. They interpret it. They try to figure it out what it is. They provide some kind of feedback. Y'all are providing me feedback. Some of your faces are like, huh? <laughs> some of your faces are like, oh, yeah. Some of your faces are like, no, I'm just kidding. But in all reality, there's this, this multiple ways of communication going on. We don't do anything with the message until it's proclaimed. And then when we receive it, that's when, that's when we start working with it. And that's what it is with, with, with faith. God declares the gospel to us. Maybe it's through a friend. Maybe it's through a, a mother or a father or a Sunday school teacher. Or maybe it's, maybe it's through a vision or a dream. Or maybe it's whatever way that we get the gospel. We get the gospel. And it's when we get the gospel, then we start dealing with it. And sometimes we want to make it out like we've done great big things when in reality God's done everything. And all we've done is just receive it. All we've done is just believe it. Then he asks, verse 3, are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? Paul calls them to think about what they've done. 
having begun in the Spirit? You started in the Spirit. Are you now being perfected in the flesh? The idea is if the Spirit starts it, can, can the flesh finish it? It would be like halfway through a marathon, uh, putting your hands down and your feet up and trying to run the rest of the way on your hands. Anybody ever seen a runner do that? No, there's a reason. That ain't going to work. We start with the Spirit, and then you're going to switch to the flesh as though the flesh can do something better? You abandon the flesh in the first place. For I have been crucified with Christ. That fleshly guy is supposed to be dead. Now you're going to keep going with him? Isn't that kind of... Dead weight? Isn't that going to weigh you down? Isn't that going to stop you? How ridiculous is that idea? And yet, here we are. And we do it. We carry around the flesh as though it's a pet. So there's nothing we can do. It's, it's, it's fully attached. I can't, I can't drop it. I can't get rid of it. Now, I'm not talking about just the physical body. I'm talking about the sinful nature here. That nature inside of us that wants to keep sinning and keep sinning and keep sinning, irregardless of the fact that he's supposed to be dead, irregardless of the fact that he's supposed to be crucified when Christ was crucified and we were supposed to be raised to new life, irregardless of that fact, we still carry it around like it's something good, like it's something worth having around. And the fact of the matter is, that's just ridiculous. Are we so foolish? Are we so foolish? Legalism turns Christians away from the means by which they become Christians in the first place. It gets us away from what God meant us to be. It turns us right back to the very thing that was trapping us before. Verse 4, did you suffer so many things in vain? There's the next question. If indeed it was in vain. I, the, the end of this verse was really tough to translate. Um, it, it's, it, it doesn't really come naturally. And I looked at several translations and they translate it a little bit different ways, but it's all kind of this way. And, and I, I, I struggle with what, what is he really saying? I mean, if indeed it was in vain, why, was it in vain? Wasn't it in vain? I, I'm not, I had a hard time with it. And then I thought about it. And it came to me. Have y'all ever heard of the law firm of Dewey, Cheatham, and Howe? Some of y'all are laughing. You know the joke? It's a, it's a question and an answer. Do we cheat them? And how? That's what Paul's saying here. That last part of that verse is an and how. So read it this way. Did you suffer so many things in vain? And how? How vain it was that we suffered so many things. Another way to read that is, did you suffer so much? Not just the number of things that you suffered, but how great your suffering was. And he says, you wouldn't believe how vain it would be to suffer. 
If Christ is the means by which we get salvation and we suffer for His name, we're blessed. He even says so. In Luke chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 5, He tells us, Blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all men are against you falsely in my name's sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. If we suffer because of Christ, then we are blessed in our suffering. But if not, if Christ died in vain, if we could earn righteousness on our own, then Christ's death was in vain. And our suffering is pointless. Why would you suffer for Christ if you didn't have to? There's no reason. I'm going to tell you something. There there are many people today that are suffering and the worst thing that they could possibly hear is that their suffering is worthless, that it doesn't matter at all. How terrible it would be to suffer for Christ only to learn that it was for naught. The last question he asks in verse 5, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? There it is again. There's that hearing with faith. Is he doing this by the law or is he doing this by faith? J. Vernon McGee once said, I believe in the eternal security of the believer and the eternal insecurity of the make-believer. Legalism rejects God's work and forces us to bear the full burden of our salvation. And some of us are working and working and trying and trying and doing and doing to try to earn our salvation. And the fact of the matter is that we do not get it because we cannot get it. The goal is perfection. It's not good. It's not okay. It's not not a murderer. It's perfection. And I wish I was like seven foot tall right now so I could set it really high so no one, some of y'all are bigger than me. If y'all came up here, you'd be higher than my hand. But the fact of the matter is, God has called us to perfection. And when we are not perfect, we fail Him. And when we fail Him, we cannot be righteous. guy who commits a murder 50 years ago is still a murderer. He's still guilty. Time doesn't change that. Prison sentence won't change that. That's not the whole idea of it. The whole idea of it is to pay for your crimes, but it never undoes the crime. And when we, as individuals, sin against God, that crime will never be done for by our own efforts. It takes God wiping the slate clean. When you get down to it, legalism not only is not the way to receive God's blessings, it's actually a barrier that restricts God's blessings. Because legalism says, I have to do it myself, and I can't do it myself. So how do we receive God's blessings? Well, Let's take it a little bit from the theoretical into the actual. Let's look at an example. The example of Abraham. Look in verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted 
counted to him as righteousness. Where does this come from? This comes from Genesis chapter 15. If you remember the story of Abraham, Abraham, um, Abraham was this guy that God called, leave your father's household, go into the land that I'm showing you. Didn't even tell Abraham where he was going. In fact, he had a completely different name. It was Abram. It wasn't Abraham. His name got changed later on. But God said, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you into many nations. I'm going to make your descendants more than the stars in the sky. I'm going to make your descendants more than the grains of sand on the seashore. And Abraham is probably thinking, please not all at the same time. (laughs) I don't want that many kids, right? I'm old. I can't handle that. God calls Abraham in his old age, go to the place where I show you and I'm going to bless you. And now, did Abraham obey God? Well, in a sense, yes. But you know what he did? He decided, well, I can't leave my whole father's household. I'll bring this Lot guy with me. (laughs) You know what ends up happening? Lot is the greatest source of Abraham's troubles. Did Abraham uh, completely follow God? No. He goes to Egypt. And he says, no, this isn't my wife, Sarah. No, 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 this is my sister. By the way, fun story in Genesis, Isaac, Abraham's son, does the same thing to the same king in Egypt later on in his life. That, that, that Just repeating the same mistakes over and over again. Yet we see Abraham, we see Abraham laying up with Hagar, to have a child his way instead of waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled. And I'm going to tell you something. If Abraham was saved by his works, he would not have been saved. We often forget this about Abraham. We say that Abraham is a man of faith and he does good. And yes, he does good. And yes, he obeys God in some points, but he fails to obey God in every point. Just like every single one of us. If I were to take take your story... If I were to open up the pages of your history and read your story, you would be embarrassed at some of the things I read. Just like I would be if I read my story. We all have times that we make mistakes. We all have failures. We all have times when we don't live up to the standard. And because the standard is perfection, none of us can deserve it. But Abraham is not judged based on just what he does. In Genesis 15... He reiterates that promise to Abram and he says, I'm going to make you a great many nations. I'm going to bless you. And what are you going to bless me with, God? I don't have a descendant. I don't have a child. I don't have anybody to carry on my name. I have to give my estate to a servant because I've got no one to take it after I die. God says, oh, no, no, no. I'm going to give you a son. And when I give you a son, what am I going to do? I'm going to make your descendants. Look look at those stars. Count those stars. I know there's no stars. Ceiling. Even if we were outside, you could see one, the sun, that's it. But at night, look at, look at the stars. Start to count them. They estimate on a good, clear night, if you don't have a lot of ambient light and, and you've got great a great chance to view the sky. You can see somewhere around 2,000 stars.
And then you see galaxies. And you know where we're in those galaxies? Stars. It's estimated the Milky Way has 100,000 of them. There's some, what, 100,000 known galaxies in the universe? Some scientists think that this isn't the only universe, that there, there's a multiverse of bunches of universes. Count stars. That's what your descendants are going to be like, Abraham. Go ahead, count them. <laughs> Anybody ever try? Anybody ever? I've tried before, yeah. I, I lost count. He says, so shall your offspring be. And then this verse comes. And Abraham believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. The idea here, it's an accounting term. Um, I used to work at the bank. And at the bank, you've got to know debits and credits. right? You've got to be able to separate the two um, because of the way that proof works. Uh, they have to have the credit first and then the debit. You know, credit's always on top, debit, debit's always on bottom. And they need to match up because if a credit and a debit don't match up, um, then the whole world explodes and everybody dies and it's terrible. I mean, from an accountant standpoint, it is, it is a big no-no to have credits and debits not matching up. That's, that's bad news. Um, I, I, I balance my checkbook to the penny because, because I've got that streak in me, okay? Like, like even a penny is just not acceptable. If someone came in to pay a loan, the payment ticket that they used, whether it was one in their coupon book or whether it was one that we had in the branch that they would fill out, that payment ticket was a credit. It's like God has said, you owe me, and I'll take your belief as payment. You owe me a debt because you cannot live the right way. Your account is overdrawn. You owe me. But instead of trying to make the works that are like pennies compared to $1,000 payments that are owed, I'm going to count your faith as payment in full. The balance is paid. The loan has been satisfied. It's closed. The debt is no more. That's Abraham's story. Here's the truth. We receive God's blessings by faith, not by works of the law. When we receive God's blessings, it is not because of what we do. It is because of what God has done and us putting simple faith in that place. We receive God's blessings by faith and not by works of the law. And what blessings do we receive? Well, look at the blessings of faith, uh, verses 7 through 9. I flipped over to Genesis. Now i got to go back. Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Faith makes us sons. Keep going. And the Scripture. For seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Did you catch that? Not in you will all the nations bless you. You're going to bless the nations. Faith makes us a blessing. See, part of the blessing of God is that we get to be part of the blessing. Part of the blessing of God is that we get to be involved in His work, doing His plan, and seeing other people come to know Him through our efforts. Now, does that mean that it's our works that earn us the blessing? No, 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 no. No, God uses some messed up people. As Adrian Rogers said, I'm, I might be a nut, but I'm fastened to a great bolt. God takes some nuts, puts them on a great bolt, and does something. You see, God turns us into a blessing. The promise to Abraham was to bless the whole world through his descendants. And not just his descendants, but his descendant. A particular descendant that would come. A son of Abraham. A son of David. A son of God. And son of man who would make the world right with God through His atoning sacrifice on the cross. If only, if only they receive Him. Because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so you have this, this promise of not only getting a blessing, but being a blessing. And how many of you have ever given gifts at Christmas time and you've seen the joy that the kids have or the grandkids have and you thought this is incredible, this beats getting the gifts any day. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful to give? Isn't it wonderful to be a blessing? Part of the blessing of God is that you get to be a blessing. But not only that, verse 9, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. You see, faith puts us in a community together with other believers. We get a blessing not only individually, but we get a blessing corporately by being able to share life together. And I don't just mean in, in this local congregation. Some of you aren't from here. Some of you are from different areas. You're going to go home and you have a church family wherever you are, and that's great. Some of you, unfortunately, are moving. And we hate to see you two go, Jack. And Nell's not in here, but we hate to see her go too. But we recognize that the church is bigger than this building and the church is bigger than just this local group of people. The church is big enough that everyone who is faith in Christ is part of a family. I went to a seminary where they did a communion service. And that was, it was a beautiful experience to be able to take communion with people that I didn't even know, but through Christ we were bonded together. I'm going to tell you something. We miss so often the blessings of God because we're too busy trying to get the blessings of God. Because we're trying to work for them and earn them. And sometimes that means that we completely disregard the gospel 
because we make it all about ourselves. If you want to receive God's blessings, you have to trust Him. And that begins at a place called Calvary. Stop relying on the checklist. They're so easy to make. Stop relying on the faith of someone else. Your mother, your father, that Sunday school teacher, that whoever it may be. Stop relying on your ability to earn favor with God. Put faith in Jesus Christ. Trust Him. He said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He didn't just say that as a, as a pithy quote to put on a wall. He said that with a yearning heart for someone to accept that invitation. So this morning, as Linda plays, as Jim leads us in a song, I'm going to invite you to call on God's name, to put trust in Him. And if you have, if, if you're already a Christian, if you're already a believer, and you've just not really lived like that, you haven't lived by that faith, but you've lived by that sense of having to do it myself. Can I tell you, it's a trap. It's a trap. Trust Him. You'll still do the good works, but you'll do them completely differently. Because when you trust Christ, it's not the works earning your way to God. It's works of gratitude for already knowing Him. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather do things that I want to do than things that I have to do. Amen. God has changed my heart, and He's taken me from the kind of person that was trying to earn favor with Him to the kind of person who enjoys His favor and wants to do something just to make my daddy happy. Wants to do something just for Him, just because I love Him. It's completely changed my life. And he'll do the same for you. You come. If you need to talk to someone, I'll be here at the front. But you trust in Christ this morning while we sing.